This is Golf Talk Canada, Canada's only national golf talk radio and TV program. Presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Stealth 2, Stealth 2 Plus, and Stealth 2 HD Carbon Woods. Designed with more carbon for more forgiveness. Learn more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. And good morning, Canada. Welcome inside Golf Talk Canada. It is a Scully and Weeks show this morning. Mark Sacchino is currently on the road where he'll be with PGA Tour Live, PGA Tour Radio. He's going to Florida, and I believe he's actually gone until the Masters, I want to say. So Mark is going to be gone for a little bit, but uh, he'll be obviously joining us from the road throughout once our TV schedule gets underway, which is actually next week. So there's so much going on with our TaylorMade product special getting underway next week, and then our regular schedule kicks off after that. But Bob, you're also back too from St. Lucia. What We're going to hear from Bill Coor in a little bit. But first of all, how are you and how was your time in St. Lucia? <laughs> it was good. Uh... I'm good. The time in St. Lucia was too short, just four days, and basically two days of that was travel. But uh, I saw the new Cavett course. It's not quite ready yet, but it's uh, getting very, very close. I think 14 of the holes are finished, and there's four more. They're sort of just finishing up on. I'll get into that a little bit later. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a nice trip, and that Cavett St. Lucia course is going to be something spectacular, that's for sure. It sure looks like it from all those photos that you posted. Uh, it's a, it's going to be very exciting. And yeah, like I mentioned, Bill Core is going to join us. One of the course designers from there. That's coming up in about 30 minutes. In hour two, we're going to hear from the executive producer of Full Swing, the PGA Tour Netflix series, Chad Mum. I had a chance to speak with Chad recently, and we'll go in-depth on the series, what we'll expect, who is going to surprise you the most, how did it all come to be. We'll hear from Chad Mum in hour two. But so much to get to. Lots of news around the world of golf. Let's hit it with some news and headlines. News and headlines are brought to you by Sandbagger Hard Seltzer. Sandbagger. Everybody knows one. Okay, Bob, we'll open up here with with the WM Phoenix Open. We'll go more in-depth in it in our next segment. But what a performance by Team Canada at this event. Most notably, Nick Taylor, who was showing some better form in the last couple of weeks, comes out here at the Waste Management and has a really good opportunity to win before coming up just short. He sure did, and you know that's that's a tough uh, tough road to, or tough place to be playing alongside John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler in front of the biggest crowds on the PGA Tour. And uh, full credit, man, he he didn't waver, he didn't uh, he didn't fold, he played great. Uh, shot 65 on Sunday, and yes, it wasn't quite enough, but uh, what a dramatic performance! And he has been putting in a lot of hard work lately. Uh, he's got a new coach. He's working with Gareth Rafluski, who's a short game coach. He changed caddies at the end of last year. He's been grinding, especially on his short game, his putting, um, which I thought was spectacular over the last uh, two days that he was there. He rolled in so many good um, power savers and some really good long distance birdie putts and never really had to, a couple of times he had a couple of stressed uh, par putts, but for overall played a uh, played a really great tournament, and uh, the purse the prize is not too bad. Two point one million he wins for being second, for being in second place. Yeah, those PGA Tour designated events uh, coming through. There's another one coming this week at Riviera. I don't think I mentioned this off the top, Bob. I'm actually not in Toronto as well because yeah. I'm just around the corner 
from Riviera. I'm actually here in Los Angeles right now where the Genesis Invitational is going on in a couple of days. I'm here for the Adidas Global Launch event and we're going to hear from many members of Team Adidas over the next few shows. Looking forward to catching up with many of them including Colin Morikawa which should be a lot of fun but someone else who's going to be here at the Genesis Invitational this week is one Tiger Woods and he decided to like he's done a lot with his announcements as of late whether it was his first full swing with that seven or eight iron back when we hadn't seen him swing at all after you know eight nine months after the uh, accident he posted on Twitter that he is going ready to play an actual PGA Tour event. Now, we speculated whether he would play the Genesis. We were sort of, I think, on the fence. We weren't really sure. But are you surprised, Bob, that he is? this is the event he's teeing it up at? Uh, yes and no. Yes, I was a little surprised because of what we saw in December, which is really only like two months ago. He, um, you know, he wasn't able to walk. He had to take a cart for, for both those little events that he did, the made-for-TV one and the father-son and, you know, his swing was still pretty good. Like, his ball speed and his club head speed was right up there with Justin Thomas and, and the rest of the guys in that event, Jordan Spieth. And I thought that, um, I thought that from a game-wise, he was ready, but from a leg-wise, he wasn't necessarily. Now, as you'll find out, when you go to Riviera, is one of the flatter courses on the PGA Tour. There's, there's a clubhouse that sits on top of a hill, and after you hit your opening tee shot, you have to walk down this big, long staircase to get to the to the ground level and when you finish 18 you have to walk back up this big long staircase so that might be the most difficult part for tiger over the next few days but i think it's gonna be really interesting to see how he performs there he's got you know his his record there of late wasn't that great he's got two runner-up finishes but those are back in uh, 98 and 99 the last time he played was in uh, 1920 uh 2019 20 he 68 finish he was 68th with rounds of 76 yeah, and 77 yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and he's missed the cut there. He's had a withdrawal there. His, his record is kind of different. But the fact that he is also the host of the tournament, I think, was probably a little bit more impetus for him to, uh, to tee it up. He was going to be there anyway. So why not go and play at a golf course? And uh, he loves the golf course. He has said that even though his finishes of late haven't been that great. He does say that he loves the golf course. So there's another good reason for him. And uh, we'll get a good indication of uh, where he is in his rehab and, and see, you know, perhaps we'll poke him a little bit and find out if he's going to give us some updates on his next schedule, which I would assume would be probably the players and definitely the Masters. Yeah, and that's where I'm so curious because, you know, we saw flashes of really good golf from Tiger when he was playing last year. You know, you think that first round at the Masters when no one knew what on earth he was going to show up in terms of game-wise. PGA Championship, he's two under through the first five holes in the opening round. He's, he's, he's hitting it both ways, he's drawing it, he's fading it, and he's playing a lot of good golf. But then sort of the fatigue started to set in. You wonder, Bob, have you wonder if given the plantar fasciitis that has been a big issue for him now that you know perhaps he's learned different techniques or different recovery methods to try to figure out that you know to try to get through a full round of golf without a noticeable limp at the end and the the two, two of the three i mean he played st andrews last year which is a fairly flat course but augusta and southern hills are two of the hillier walks on the pga tour correct so I, in terms of walking this should be relatively ish easy i guess for tiger no 
Yeah, it's it's it really is pretty flat. Um, the plantar fasciitis is is he has said I, from what I understand is sort of more or less gone away, and it's one of those things where you can, with the right kind of uh, treatment and physio and all that kind of stuff, get rid of that. Um, you know, we still have this mystery of the two additional surgeries yeah. that he talked about, which he wouldn't go into depth on when he was uh, at the this father son event. So we're not quite sure what those are or how those are going to possibly impact or what's, what his, his status is right now in terms of that. Um, but if he, can walk, if he can walk this golf course and play well, I, you know, I, I think there's every reason to believe he'll play at the players, which is another flat course, and then uh, get himself ready for Augusta National, which is I, I know on the list. I mean, I don't know. I shouldn't say I know, but it's, it's on everybody's assuming that he's going to play there. But yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. And you're, as you said, you're, you're in his neighborhood right now. So, uh, maybe you can just wander over and have a look and give us a report later. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping on Wednesday, I'll definitely, uh, there'll be a lot of content coming from, uh, it's from team GTC. We're live from 10 to noon Eastern. And then I'm going to make my way over probably in an Uber. Hopefully it takes not an hour and there's not traffic and such, but looking forward to getting over there. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. Haven't been in LA too much, but one thing before we segue away from tiger, the forecast this week, it's not all that warm, you know, sort of 15, 17 Celsius. And obviously the leg is an issue, but this guy is still playing with a spine fuse, you know, or a spinal fusion post-surgery. So the back obviously is an issue as well. When he won the Masters in 2019, you know, it was mid-70s in Fahrenheit, and it was hot, and you could see how much he was sweating. You wonder, Bob, given, you know, last year at the Masters, you were there, it was cold. And, you know, yeah. for a guy with the back issue, warming up the back is going to be part of the battle for Tiger, not only to get through eight, 72 holes of competitive golf, but to try to score as well this week. Yeah, even even pre-accident when he had the back issues, you know, the cold weather was not a great thing for him to go yeah. in and certainly last year at Augusta National the second day was especially was really cold and you could see how it affected Tiger um, and he was you know he walked off the course and just said all he wanted to do was sort of get into the hot bath or whatever and get himself try to get himself warmed up that'll be a factor that'll be a factor uh, everywhere he plays from now on and so he's gonna have to deal with it and you know Tiger is Tiger is super super tough mentally so I'm sure he'll get through it it's just a question of how will he play how will he play and when will we see him next? Looking forward to seeing Tiger this week at the Genesis Invitational. You mentioned off the top, Nick Taylor had a good week at the WM Phoenix Open. Adam Hadwin had a good week up at the WM Phoenix Open. But you know who had a better week, Bob? Stephen Ames on PGA Tour Champions. Third career Champions Tour victory for Stephen Ames. What is the significance of this win for Mr. Ames? Well, it comes on what is arguably the toughest golf course that these guys play every year. It's in Morocco, and it is the Dar Royal Dar es Salaam golf course. And uh, just to give you an indication of how tough it is, on the, on the third round, there was only one, one round in the 60s, and only six of 66 players broke par. Now, Stephen, Stephen had the low round of the tournament in the first round with a 67, uh, four under par. And so he, I mean, he... Uh, it followed it up with another round in the 60s and then shot made 18 pars to win by five so uh, and, and it also has one of the more interesting uh, trophies it's basically a jeweled knife in a in a holder and I'm not quite sure how we would get that through uh, customs and everything at the airport but maybe they ship it to him I'm not quite sure what happens but it is a big win for Stephen he didn't get a win last year but he had 
I think eight top tens or maybe ten top tens. He was he yeah he had ten top tens. He was eighth in the um, Charles Schwab Cup, which is their FedEx Cup, which is the highest a Canadian has ever done. And I think getting this win is is big for him. Uh, you know, it, the you have a sort of a lifespan when you're playing on the Champions Tour because don't forget, as every year you age, there's more young guys, more 50 year olds coming in, and Steven's not getting any younger. So I think that uh, this is huge. You get some. Uh, back and mentally really good he's been playing very well he's been working hard at his game he's told, told me and uh, now it's paying off so good for Steven yeah good for him looking forward to seeing what he has in store for the rest of the season and you mentioned that final round 18 consecutive pars you wonder I'm obviously you went on to win the tournament but there's got to be I wonder if that's frustration at some point where you make 18 straight pars is it boring I, I don't know I mean obviously <laughs> there's many different ways to make a par but 18 straight pars that is hard very hard uh, to do. Okay, a couple more news and headlines here before you go to break. Uh, some news from Golf Canada. They're announcing Hall of Fame inductees tomorrow, correct, Bob? They are. We're not sure how many or who is in there, but there's some speculation going around, and I'm thinking of a couple of names. Uh, there might be a historical name, I think, that we've yeah. uh, from the past, but there could be, you know, I mean, I think some, some legitimate people who might be able to, to go in would be people like, uh, Jim Rutledge, maybe Graham Dillette, our, our good pal Graham Dillette. We'll see if he maybe is, is on the no, news. Uh, it's a tough haul to get into in terms of uh, the people who are, at least it's tough now. It wasn't, wasn't as tough before when I got in, but it's tough. It's tougher. <laughs> it was tougher. Uh, it's tough to get in, and I'm, I'm, I think it should be tough to get in. So we'll see. There's always some amateur golfers who might get the nod. You know, maybe someone like Judith Corinnes or Terrell Samuel. Um, are both worthy, and so I, I think it's going to be. We haven't had any inductees for the last couple of years, so we'll we'll have that on our Wednesday show. Maybe we'll get an interview with one of the people who gets inducted. Yeah, that's awesome. That's big news coming from uh, Golf Canada. Okay, and finally, before we go to break, this was all over social media last week. Augusta National, the 13th hole, has now been pushed back officially 35 yards to 545 yards. What do you what do you think of this, Bob? Because this was, you know, from for a modern day par five, this was a shorter par five for sure. And some players were, you know, hitting three wood and potentially if they were drawn enough around the corner, if you're a right-handed player, you would have a low to mid iron or a mid to low iron into that green in two. And now, in my opinion anyway, this is going to make it more of a three-shot hole. What do you think? Uh, I don't know if I buy that. I, I think that what you're going to see right now is the way it was intended is the risk reward. So some players will definitely maybe lay up. You know, I mean, the shorter players might have to. I, ben Crenshaw was down in St. Lucia. I was chatting to him about it, and he said that when he first started playing, their guys were hitting four woods in there for their second shot, four irons. But he thinks it'll be he thinks it'll be good. I like it. I think that it's 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 you know like uh, I mean when Bubba won, he hit a wedge. Into that green, into that green, and, and some he of the cut that guys, corner dramatically. Yeah, yeah, and so I think this is going to force guys to hit longer clubs in there. It's going, it's not a great, not a real easy green to hold. We've seen that, and you will see some guys lay off if they, especially if they get out of position out there. So uh, I love the change. I think this is this makes it more of a um, a challenge to make a birdie rather than sort of almost a fait accompli. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I really think, too, it'll depend on where the pin is situated as well and, and what kind of angle you have in. But good risk-reward, par 5, Augusta National keeps changing every year. And the Masters, it's not too far away now, Bob. We're, we're getting there just a couple months away from the first major of the men's season. 
so excited for that just a couple months away now uh, until the Masters. But the player who won the Masters last year, Scotty Scheffler, he was back in the winner's, winner's circle this past weekend at the WM Phoenix Open. On the other side, we'll recap his performance, and now he's back to world number one. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC was presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Stealth 2, Stealth 2 Plus, and Stealth 2 HD Carbon Woods. Designed with more carbon for more forgiveness. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Caddy Time, the Uber-like app that allows golfers across Canada to find affordable, qualified caddies to any round. Visit caddytime.com. Download the app or talk to your PGA professional today. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada. Adam Scully alongside Bob Weeks. Well, Scotty Scheffler gets it done at the WM Phoenix Open. Fifth career PGA Tour victory. And he defends his title at the WM Phoenix Open. That's where he started his rise to world number one last year. He had four wins in the span of 42 days to get to world number one. And now he is back there after his victory at the WM Phoenix Open. Before we debrief his win, let's hear from Scotty Scheffler. I feel like I've been playing pretty solid. Um, I talked a little bit at the beginning of the week about kind of being on the outside, looking in, going into Sundays and not really having a chance. So I was definitely excited going into today, being in the final group. And as far as today went, it was a, it was a good fight out there. Um, John played pretty good on the front nine, and then Nick played pretty fantastic the whole day. He was making a lot of putts, and it was a it was a good battle. It was a lot of fun, and you know I was fortunate to come out on top this time. But uh, definitely looking to going down the stretch with those guys more in the future. So Bob Scotty Scheffler, you know, after winning the Masters last year, the rest of the season was. I'm not sure if perplexing is the right word, but he had finished. He had chances to win, but just couldn't get it done. And our expectations for him totally changed after getting it done and winning those four uh, starts that he did, uh, ending with the Masters last year. He had a chance to win at the U.S. Open, uh, had a chance at the Open Championship through two days, but most notably at the Tour Championship was when he faltered on. Sunday and you know we all we often have the conversation about scar tissue but I mean given the way he played on Sunday with the chasers that were there this has to bode well for Scotty Scheffler here as we move forward into the really into the meat of the season on the PGA Tour yeah I think I think last year the second half of the year was probably uh, such a change of lifestyle for him being number one in the world getting pulled getting sort of all sorts of different offers getting things off the golf course, a lot more attention, a lot more demands on your time, a lot more time in the interview room. Those things, when you're not used to them, obviously become a distraction. And can I'm sure, and from other players, have, I've heard this that they sort of you really have to manage your time well. And I think uh, Scotty kind of got out of rhythm. He talked after the win yesterday about how he spent some time last week working hard on his game with his coach, and how that really transpired. And and I think one of the most amazing parts for me about the win was how poorly he drove the ball. Uh, he was, I think, tied for 45th in driving accuracy. Something, you know, some sort of a crazy stat in terms of, he hit five fairways Saturday and five on Sunday. And when you do that and you're still able to put up the numbers that he put up, I mean, it's, I think that's what makes a guy a number one. You can, you can have a weak part of your game 
and not let it drag your entire game down. And that's what Scotty Scheffler uh, did on Sunday, and that's what he's done for the last year, I guess, and a half, even though there has been sort of, um, you know, a, a slowing of, of the winning. I mean, I don't think anybody could expect to play at the pace he did at the start of last year, winning all those tournaments and being up there. Uh, it's just, you know, it, we've seen it from Rory. We've seen it from John Rahm. It's just one of those things. So, but, uh, but that was a pretty spectacular finish yesterday. Yeah, was it ever? And this is a guy who really was the 12th man on that 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team. And, and something changed for him there. You know, he beat John Rahm in the Sunday singles and he went out, had a really good year, you know, good stretch last year. And now he is a five-time winner on the PGA Tour, uh, goes bogey-free on Sunday too. And from a FanDuel perspective, he opened the week with the third shortest odds to win at plus 1,300 or 13 to 1. Unfortunately, though, Bob, none of us selected Scotty Scheffler on the TSN edge. So we've been, you know, we've been we're doing okay, though. We all have three wins on the season. I think this week we'll get back in the winner's circle. But on Wednesday's show, we'll have a full TSN edge preview of the Genesis Invitational. Now, we mentioned Nick Taylor in the first segment. He came in second place, a cool $2.1 million as well for finishing second in a designated event. Before we discuss Taylor further, let's hear from Nick Taylor after coming in second place. I've been playing well, but my track record here is really not that great. So um, I've worked a lot on my putting, kind of changed my grip over the fall. And, um, you know, I putt great this week. That's kind of been my Achilles heel out here. I feel like I've always hit it pretty nice out here. Just wasn't able to read the greens that great. And once I saw some putts going in, um, you know, I, I definitely got some confidence and rolled a lot of nice putts in. So that was kind of the difference this week. And Nick Taylor, a big rise up the world ranking from 223 to 73rd after this performance. And I mean, to go to play the way he did against that leaderboard with that much money on the line, this has to totally change our expectations for Nick Taylor here going ahead, Bob, given that you know he's played some good golf, he had a couple top tens going into this week. He had a pretty quiet last season on the PGA Tour, but given this performance, what are your expectations now for Nick for the next couple of months? Well, he, he sort of uh, took a step back near the end of last year and decided it was time to change a few things up, so he got a new coach. Uh, he started working with Gareth Rafluski, who is a noted short game coach. They worked... I was texting with Gareth yesterday, and they said he they worked really hard on his putting, and uh, his his stance, uh, including his grip, his position over the ball. And Gareth told me he said it took him a couple of months to work that into where it felt really comfortable. So you can imagine that just working on your stance and your grip is more than, like six weeks to do that. Uh, but it certainly showed. Nick has been a mediocre putter through his career, I would say, and by his own admission, he sort of said that yesterday in the press conference and he I mean his putting was spectacular he missed you know a couple here and there one key one on the 16th hole obviously but the number of par saves he made um, on the, the birdie putt on the third hole the uh, um, some of the times where he maybe had a long putt and, and lagged it up to like a foot or an inch or whatever it was I thought his putting was was absolutely the best I've seen him putt for a long time and I think, I think this, he's got a new caddy as well, and David Markle, who's a Canadian. People might recognize that name. He was a very good amateur golfer. He's a, uh, got on the bags towards the end of last year. That's a big change for him. He helps him read the greens as well. He's also been working with our friend Ralph Bauer's uh, tour, green, tour read green app. So <laughs> kudos to that. If you're looking for a little assistance in getting your putting better, you might want to consider that app. 
So lots of good things for Nick Taylor. I think this is a year where he's going to be a lot more consistent because uh, that's his third top 10 of the year. That's more than he's had. That equals what he's had over the last two years in, uh, in his career. And, uh, and he's already, I mean, way ahead of, uh, well, obviously with a $2.1 million second place check, way ahead of where he was last year when he won just a little under 900000 So it's a good sign pointing, pointing forward for Nick Taylor. Yeah, and he had a lot of great putts that barely missed. And how about on the 17th hole? That slow motion horseshoe lip out. I mean, like if that putt goes in, Bob, the the 18th hole is totally different. But, I mean, sometimes the, the breaks just don't go your way, correct? Yeah, and even on the 16th hole, you know, his Scotty hits his and goes right up against the, the grandstand. And Nick looks like it's going to be absolutely perfect in there and just had enough to roll down and make it tough for him. So there were a couple of key moments over there, but that's, that's what happens. You know, I think he looked, he looked like he deserved to be there. And I give CBS lots of kudos because they, they were, they were saying like, don't, you know, don't give up on this guy. He's, he's a vet out there. He was the number one amateur in the world. He took down Phil Mickelson. You know, he's got a lot going on in, in his game. He just needs it to be a little bit more consistent, which I expect you're going to see going forward. And it'll be really good if either he or Adam can get inside the top 50 uh, in the next couple of weeks and get them get themselves into the Masters as well. Nick says he loves Genesis, he loves Riviera, so maybe he'll have another good week this week. And one thing I really like about Nick Taylor's game is that he's very even keeled. He, you know, he never really shows all too much excitement or frustration. There's always sort of a level-headedness about him. But Nick Taylor, a very good performance at the WM Phoenix Open, now moving up from 223rd in the official World Golf Ranking up to 73rd so a great week for Canadian Nick Taylor on the other side we're going to switch gears a little bit and head to St. Lucia Bob you were just at Cabot St. Lucia we're going to learn all about this project and these unbelievable photos that you posted on your social media handles which has left everyone incredibly jealous that they weren't there with you this is Golf Talk Canada this segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Caddy Time the Uber-like app that allows golfers across Canada to add affordable, qualified caddies to any round. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. Visit weathertech.ca. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada. Adam Scully alongside Bob Weeks. Well, Bob, you were recently just at Cabot St. Lucia taking a look at that unbelievable property. And like I just mentioned at the end of the last segment, some of the photos that you posted were breathtaking, to say the least. I mean, give us a sense of what it was like being there i mean given i mean the temperatures looked amazing but just being on property and seeing some of the holes that look like a post like a postcard really they, they look incredible it's uh yeah it's pretty amazing it's um it's essentially carved out around around the ocean and it's a uh, in saint lucia the northern part northern tip essentially of saint lucia and it is a volcanic island saint lucia so there's lots of hills and up and down and there are some very dramatic holes that uh, aren't right on the ocean, but there are some absolute jaw-dropping ones that are on the open. And if you look at uh, Cava Cliffs, where we saw that again in Cape Breton, and I'm sure many of our listeners have had a chance to go out there, at least I hope they have, uh, this is sort of um, the Caribbean version of Cava Cliffs, and maybe a little bit more on steroids. And 
Uh, it was supposed to be open right now, but it was delayed because of COVID. And um, it's scheduled now to open in December. We got to hit a few shots, uh, but Ooh. we didn't play around or anything. But I had a good, did have a good chance to chat with Bill Coor, who's the guy who designed this, and he, along with Ben Crenshaw. And he also designed Cabot Cliffs, of course, as well as many other great courses around the world. There you go. Well, it's, uh, it's such an exciting project. I can't wait to learn more about it. And like you just mentioned, you had a chance to speak with one of the course designers, Bill Coor, about Cabot St. Lucia. Let's hear that interview. Bill Coor, um, I don't know. I wanted to ask you this question about Ben Cowendure. When you see his name on your phone, do you light up? Do you get scared about what the next idea is going to be? Um, with this project here, when he called you to ask you about Cabot St. Lucia, what was your first instinct? Well, I guess to your initial point there, Bob, it's uh, when I see Ben Cowendure's name come up on my phone, I know it's going to be something interesting. I don't know exactly what that's going to be, but it, it will be interesting. And I do remember very well when Ben called and he had, he had uh, actually uh, sent me a couple of photographs of this site. Uh, when he he first saw it, and I do remember the first photograph or two he sent, and I'm just looking at it. And to your point, I guess too, you know, you'd look at this spectacular coastline and cliffs and water crashing and all this. Uh, I looked at that for a, probably two seconds and thought, "Boy, that's spectacular." And then I looked at what were obviously the hills that sat inland, just inland behind that, and I thought. And that looks really steep <laughs> and really pretty severe. And so I, when I talked to Ben, I called him back, and he said, but Bill, it's fantastic. It's spectacular. you got to come, at least come look at this and look at this. So I did. I came down, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm just being totally candid, uh, Bob. My first reaction is it's off the charts spectacular, but it's also severe. You know, the elevation change and how quickly the elevation change occurs to the coastline and how do you do this and uh, could anybody build a, a series of uh, just almost beyond imagination holes on the ocean? Yes. What happens to the rest of it? How do you, instead of just having, you know, six or eight or nine uh, just incredibly spectacular holes, how do you have a whole golf course? That, that someone would uh, want to not just photograph but play. And, and we've talked that, that that's been our biggest challenge with that. And Ben Callender knew that when I came with him. And, you know, he would point out situations. You'll see one today, the 15th hole, where you, you tee off of a, a point, a little promontory out in, literally out in the ocean, and you play uphill some over a cliff. It's the shortest par four. If, you know, if you're familiar with Cabot Cliffs, for your uh, uh, perspective, Cabot Cliffs, the 17th hole is a little like that. In this case, it was a much higher cliff that would need to be lowered some to make it to make a fairway and make everything playable. And Ben Callender, I remember the two of us were standing down there, and he said, "Bill, you can play right up here." And I'm going, Ben. There's no fairway up there. It's just a cliff. And, and then it goes up from there. There's no, and you know, to, to, to Ben's credit, he just said, I believe you guys can do this. You can do this. 
And so in a lot of ways, uh, at Cabot Cliffs to some degree here to a much greater degree, he has challenged us or pushed us to, to go probably outside our comfort zone in some of the holes, uh, which were we would likely have considered to be too extreme in their natural state. And uh, as I, I mentioned, I think Tom Cohen uh, yesterday I said, you read all these articles about how we're minimalists and everything. Uh, this is not a minimalist course. <laughs> it, it may end up looking like we just laid it on the ground. Hopefully it will. But there's been uh, some pretty serious work out there to make some of these holes, particularly to address the playability. As you get closer now to the opening, the designs, design work is all laid out. The course is there. Um, how do you... Uh, is it exciting? What's the feeling you have now as you get closer to seeing this challenging course that you had to develop uh, come, become reality? Oh, Bob, it's been, uh, this trip for me has been so fantastic. And, and I put that within the context of this is a very complicated site. It's, it's, had, uh, it, it's been an extraordinarily difficult and challenging course to construct not just to lay the holes out and figure out how you're going to travel around this site in terms of routing, but to construct these holes again because of the elevation change. It's a bit, you know, the, the soil for the most part is kind of a rocky dirt mix. And, uh, uh, and the fact that in St. Lucia, you're not allowed to bring in sod and you, everything has to be seeded. It's not vegetatively planted and grown in, it's seeded. And with slopes like in, in some of these fairways, particularly, well, both the uphill, but certainly the downhill ones, water goes downhill pretty, pretty <laughs> readily. And uh, uh, the challenges that have been here, uh, COVID, for over a year, this project, there were guys out there working, a handful of guys working on it, and they were working on playability, playability, trying to widen fairways, create contours you could play on. Um, but it was a slow process. But COVID set it back to the point that they were just starting to plant grass at the absolute worst possible time, right when the rainy season was coming, the hurricane season coming. So these guys, both Damon DeGiorgio, who's the superintendent, his his crew that he was just assembling, you know, to to be here. He had recently gotten here right before the rainy season starts. They're seeding the Encore construction crew that'd been here throughout. Um, you know, it had to be monumentally frustrating to finish something beautifully and then seed it and and then watch it rain five or six inches in, in two days later or something and washouts and washouts and washouts, repair, 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 going back two, three, four, five times and redoing the same things. And so all that is a long-winded way of saying, Bob, I watched through that. I remember when I was here in, in late November walking down fairways that, you know, they were growing in but had washouts that as deep as my waist that I would walk down and hang on, these poor guys. Now they're gonna have to do this again and again. And, but little by little, they persisted, they stayed at it, nobody gave up. And uh, 
So when I came this trip, the difference between the end of November and now was massive, massive improvement. I just got Ben and I both. We went out there and we just go, you know what? This is going to work. I think this is actually going to work. And and we we've had our uh, you know we've had our great concerns about again playability, and you know we're going through all the holes and going. I actually think this is going to work. We'll leave it to you and other people to say whether or not we succeeded. But um, uh, that's amazing. Um, you said something to me when at the opening of Cabot Cliffs where people were trying to compare that course to something else. Is it like this? Is it like that? You said, no, no, this is what it is. It's the Nova Scotia course. Yeah. So what's, what's, what's Cabot St. Lucia going to be then? Is it just Cabot St. Lucia? I don't, I don't think, Bob, that, that anyone will have any difficulty recognizing where it is. I think it's going to have such an extraordinarily strong individual character. Uh, the visuals and the landforms take care of that. And, uh, yeah, it will it will be extremely identifiable, and uh, and, uh, and and different. I mean, it's it really doesn't. I, you'll hear I, I, just like at Cabot Cliffs. You remember the you know people would say, "Oh, the sixteenth hole at Cabot Cliffs is like the sixteenth at Cypress Point." Well, the same thing is going to happen here, and I promise you, it's purely coincidental because of laying out the holes on the ground, following the coastline, and then working inland. But the 16th hole here, if anything, is far more reminiscent of 16 at Cypress Point than the 16th at Cabot Cliffs. So, you know, you'll hear that type thing, but uh, I'm, I'm sure. But the holes are, they don't really remind me of anything else other than possibly that hole. I guess the 15th, if you're familiar with Cabot Cliffs, after the 15th's been done here, there could be some, you know, people who played Cabot Cliffs and say, oh, the tee shot at least is, is a little like 17 Cabot Cliffs. But not a bad thing, though. No, no, <laughs> no, no, it's not at all. And uh, so it's unlike, it doesn't remind Ben and me of any other course we've ever done. And... Uh, We'll see. Well, congratulations. We'll uh, we'll get out there and have a look at it, and uh, I'm sure it'll be another rave review. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bob. It's good to see you again, and uh, hope you enjoy your uh, afternoon out there. Wow, there's a lot of information to take from that interview, Bob. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I think we should jump on a plane tomorrow and just head down again when, when, when all the holes are constructed, and we should do a full profile of Cabot St. Lucia. December first is the uh, the opening scheduled, and uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a spectacular opening. It's going to be a spectacular golf course, as are all things Cabot. It seems, and, and that's a good way to put it. All things Cabot, spectacular. Obviously, the rankings here: Cabot Cliffs, Cabot Links, and how it's respected internationally. Whenever you mention the word Cabot to anyone in the golf world, they know exactly what you're talking about. And can't wait to see more about Cabot St. Lucia here as we move forward. On the other side, we're going to take a look at the 16th hole at the Waste Management Phoenix Open at TBC Scottsdale, known as the loudest hole in golf. It certainly has its pros and certainly has its cons. We'll discuss that and much more coming up next. This is Golf Talk Canada. 
This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. This is Golf Talk Canada presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach, home to 80 great courses, 60 miles of sandy shores, endless dining and entertainment. Visit PlayGolfMyrtleBeach.com to start planning your golf trip today. Wrapping up Hour 1 here on GTC, Adam Scully alongside Bob Weeks. And Bob, one thing you didn't mention off the top of the show was the Super Bowl last night. What a game that was. A bit of a controversial call, the hold late in the game, which led to the game-winning field goal. But alas, we're not a football show, but we do like to talk entertainment sometimes. What were your thoughts on the halftime performance by Rihanna? Uh, I thought it was great. I'm, I'm a big fan. And to see her, and according to James Duffy, she was really high up in the stadium. If you saw it, she was kind of lower down. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of cool. I expected maybe there might be a couple of guests. Maybe Drake might have popped out, her old flame. And, uh, but I thought she did her hits, which I love, and played right through it. It was a high energy, lots of movement, lots of dancing, exactly kind of what you want. It wasn't my favorite of all Super Bowl um, halftime shows. I mean, I've had some other ones that I would rank well ahead of it, such as, let's see, uh, I thought Bruno Mars was really good. His he was, was good. His was pretty yeah. cool. Prince might have been the best of them all. Of course, he's, uh, he's pretty spectacular, was pretty spectacular, but uh, it was a good show. I don't know. What do you think? I thought it was a great show uh, as well. I mean, I love the I loved last year's show with 50 Cent, Eminem, uh, many other, uh, Mary J. Blige, many, many others, just in terms of retro stuff. But Rihanna is great. And, and uh, I was texting you earlier yesterday. I, I landed in Los Angeles yesterday morning for the Adidas Global launch. And I'm here uh, as well with our good friends from the Preferred Lie, who I know very well. And they, they put, put a lot of great content out there. And we were... Uh, in Santa Monica watching at an, an establishment. And when Rihanna came on, it turned into an all-on dance party at the place we were at. So um, <laughs> That's there, good. There, there was some, some videos out there. They didn't get posted, but there, there was some singing. Uh, I can't dance very well, Bob. So it's sort of a tall guy, sort of <laughs> without much coordination, almost doing the robot, but not really trying to do the robot. But um, let's just say I we mean, the best of all was The best of all was 2006, I have to say that too, which is Detroit when it was... The Rolling Stones, the greatest rock and roll band in the world, but I'm I'm yes. way biased with that. That's my favorite group, next to Rush. Yes. Okay. Well, speaking of great performances and rowdy performances, the 16th hole at TPC Scottsdale gets so much notoriety for the way it is, and I I know we're going to get to it more in terms of Adam Hadwin's weekend there in Winners Weird and What, because he had a couple of very eventful opportunities on the 16th hole, but Given like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, it's it seems like I was watching video about four or five years ago, and it seems like the capacity is like the way they've added more grandstands around the greens. It seems like it's way bigger. Um, and even hearing you know James Duffy, like you mentioned uh, earlier, he was there. Kara Wagland was there as part of our uh, Super Bowl coverage. They went out on Friday afternoon, I believe, to go check it out. Is is it good for golf, the 16th hole, to have this sort of thing once once a year? I know the rink hole at the RBC Canadian Open is trying to get something similar in terms of a vibe, but what do you think of the 16th hole and, and the atmosphere that it brings? I, I love it. I know there's a lot of people, including our co-host, Mark Zucchino, who don't. <laughs> and uh, 
I think it's great. I think the players more or less accept it. It's, you know, the noise is not as big a factor because it's sort of a constant noise. It's not like someone's out of the blue yelling in the top of your bat swing. So it doesn't really distract the players that much, at least for the most part. I think it's innovative. I think it's, um, it draws a lot of younger people when you go and see there. However, I will say that in the last, really since they kind of made it into the full stadium, it's been a lot more corporate uh, seats and, and boxes and things like that, even though the people there seem to get imbibed as well. Um, but I, I think it's fabulous. I, I, why not, right? And, and, you're, and you're right. There are a lot of people trying to copy it. There are a lot of people who have a lot of tournaments where there is the one hole where it's fun. And this is what you need to do. This is entertainment. I mean, you, you can sit back on your haunches and think, oh, yeah, it's great. We need quiet and we need people hushing, you know, the crowd on every shot. But no, I mean, you can save that for the Masters. Uh, but um, do I want the rink at the, at the RBC Canadian Open? Yes, I do. And this one, this one at, at Waste Management is the granddaddy of them all. I found it interesting this week that I saw something that uh, Adam tweeted out. It takes them 151 days to build the stadium. And it takes them 152. 50, 121 days to build a stadium and 57 days to take it down. And, and so I said, I said, I wonder, I, I've often asked this and I've got the answer. I said, I wonder why they don't just leave it up. But apparently there's some tax implications if it becomes a permanent structure. So they take it down and they take it up. And for half the year, they got a crew working who has uh, full-time jobs, I guess, on this thing. But every year they seem to add a little bit more. This year they had a couple of um, big scoreboards LED like jumbotron kind of things at uh, at either end, which added to it, and um, I'm fine with it. I'm fine. I think th- th- maybe throwing the beer bottles out is a little much, but but other than that, I think it's great. That's exactly where I was going to go. I mean, it, it's great. The atmosphere is amazing. It's rowdy, but once once the beers start going on, start flying onto the greens, and it becomes a safety hazard, like that's where I think we draw the line a, a little bit. But I mean, the 16th hole is. It is what it is, and I, one thing I do love before we go to break is is the length of it. Like you don't want a 200-yard par three being, you know, that sort of atmosphere because the chances of, you know, hitting a good shot are significantly less than you know on Saturday it was playing 123 yards. I want to say like it, it's a the greens about 35 yards long, so you can put the pin in many different locations. But giving the players that chance, maybe put it into a bit of a bowl on the green as well giving the best players in the world a chance to make a one and let all the fans cheer because i mean there's so so many videos too on social media of people lining up at four in the morning trying to get their spot i can't imagine what kind of state they're in once the third round actually comes to a close uh social media is a funny place seeing uh, seeing some people in the state there and jordan spieth had a couple of funny quotes after his third round saying you know some guys you can tell they had about 17 beers and Still standing, which is an accomplishment at that. But, you know, TBC Scottsdale, the WM Phoenix Open, it is what it is. And uh, many players, or all, many of the top players have gone for the last couple of years, including this year, where Scotty Scheffler went on to win in a great par putt he made on Sunday on the 16th hole as well. On the other side, we'll kick off Hour 2 with Winners, Weird, and What. And later on in Hour 2, we're going to hear from Chad Mum, the executive producer of the PGA Tour Netflix series Full Swing, which is being released later this week. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach, the golf capital of the world. Thank you for listening to Hour 1 of GTC. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada. For show archives, podcasts, and all things GTC, visit GolfTalkCanada.com. 
And don't miss Golf Talk Canada Television weekly on the TSN Television Network. This is Hour 2 of Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. Why Picton Mahoney? Visit PictonMahoney.com. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Zacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada, Hour 2, the back nine here on GTC. Adam Scully alongside Bob Weeks. Mark Sacchino is on the road again. He's currently driving to Florida where he'll be, for the next couple of months, he'll be there with PGA Tour Radio, PGA Tour Live, the Z-Man. And he loves to drive too, Bob. He's a big, long-distance driver. I don't know about you. I just, I, I don't love that. Uh, I can go to a certain extent. Like I don't mind driving, yeah. maybe maybe four hours max. I like the audio books. Put those on. Maybe some yeah. podcasts, like uh, Rubber Boots podcast with James Duthie or whatever. But yeah, I think I'd rather just get there. I, I agree, and I, I mean I'm sure Mark has some WWE, you know, podcast blaring at the same time after listening to our show, of course as he's making his way to Florida. But Mark will be back in the host chair on Wednesday morning when he'll be there in Florida hosting from there. But of course, no shortage, as always, in the world of golf with weird and wacky stuff going on, both on and off the golf course. It is winners, weird and what. And this week, Bob, you have the tea. So, so what do I do? Just aim for the pond? No, you're not supposed to hit it into the water. But you hit it into the water. I know I hit it into the water. Well, why do they even have water if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun! We're having fun! Look, it went further than your ball. All right, Adam. Well, my, uh, my winner this week is uh, something you kind of touched on a little bit off the top of the show, and that is that... After his great runner-up performance on Sunday, Nick Taylor went from 223rd in the official World Golf Ranking to 73rd. And the impressive part about that in a group situation is that for the first time, Canada now has five golfers inside the top 100. And that, of course, is Corey Connors, Mackenzie Hughes, Adam Hadwin, Adam Svensson, and now, of course, Nick Taylor. And that is an amazing achievement. And I think that in a large way, it is due, in, yeah, in a large way, it's due to what uh, Mike Weir accomplished by winning the Masters, which is, by the way, 20 years ago this year. If you ask Ooh. all those players in that group, maybe not Adam Svensson, because he was pretty young at that point, but all of them can tell you where they were when Mike won the green jacket. All of them can tell you that it opened the door for them. The other thing is it could be six very soon. Taylor Pendrith is 112th, so getting six inside that group is a remarkable achievement, and uh, credit goes to a lot of different people. Uh, I give credit a lot to Mike Weir, but certainly Golf Canada's programs and the respective colleges and coaches uh, that these players played under and played with uh, goes a long way. So congratulations. I, I don't know. It's, it's, to me, it's pretty remarkable. What do you think? 
I, I totally agree. It's it's remarkable to see so many Canadians have so much success. And we even saw two victories during the fall portion of the PGA Tour schedule. Taylor Pendrith had a great finish at Pebble Beach. And we should mention as well, Pendrith was inside the top 100 back at the Shriners Children's Open. He was 99th in the official World Golf Ranking. That was back in the fall. So don't be surprised to see Pendrith get cracked the top 100 where we see six Canucks inside the top 100. My uh, weird this week takes us back to the 16th hole, and I'm not sure how many of our listeners saw this, but uh, they may have seen, if they were watching very closely or seen it on social media, a gentleman by the name of Patrick McConnell, because Patrick decided to take off everything except his uh, running (laughs) shoes and a Speedo, and he had some Uh uh, stuff taped, or sorry, excuse me, written on his front and his back, and he danced around quite a whip quite a bit on the 16th green and then he ran back through the hole in the stadium went down onto 17 did a belly flop into the pond on 17 went up and stood on the waste management sign that is situated in the pond sort of for an overhead view before finally getting arrested and his his mug shot is one of the all-time great mug shots I mean this guy has the perhaps the greatest mullet I have ever seen and he has become known as the mullet streaker he actually got released and ended up making it back out um, to the not to the golf tournament, but he actually went to a, to a, a a bar, I guess, and they took some pictures with him. But it is pretty remarkable, I think. First of all, how how much he eluded them for? Like he was there for a while, like running around on the green, and then jumping in the pond and running down here and there before they finally pulled him apart. And now, don't listen. Don't follow this guy, Patrick McCullough, because he did get he did get arrested. He does have a charge pending against him. We'll see what what ends up becoming of that. But did you see him, Adam? Did you did you watch him? I you know what I did I did see it, and he avoided everyone. Very, uh, you know, it was absurd, really, how he was, he kept avoiding everyone. And um, you know, the last time we saw someone jump in the pond on the seventeenth hole was a couple of years ago when a fan dressed as Borat jumped in the water while Jordan Spieth was hitting a putt. So, I mean, something about that 17th hole, that water hazard there is uh, quite something. <laughs> That's right. And uh, we also talked about this a little bit on the, at the top of the show, but Adam Hadman, my what is, what a weekend of two swings for Adam Hadman on the 16th hole. On Saturday, he was the last player to hit a shot on that hole, and the crowd by that time had thinned a little bit, but they were still the well-lubricated um, marathoners were still in the crowd and Adam hit a shot that really had a great chance to go in it just I think he ended up hitting it to a foot and a half or something mm-hmm. pretty remarkable shot then he comes back the next day and now he's I won't say he's out of the tournament but he's you know trying to guard against uh, dropping precipitously but yeah takes another rip at it and he goes 2-2 Saturday and Sunday I think that's a pretty good performance for uh, for a guy on that hole at any time let alone with the full house and screaming at you. Totally. I mean, the, the amount of adrenaline pumping that you'd have to really, you know, zone in and hit a precise wedge shot because that tee shot on Saturday, he backed off a couple of times because you could really tell that players were having a hard time judging the wind because of the Coliseum on, on top of them, really, and all the fans essentially blocking what wind they could feel. But that shot on Saturday pitched about 10 to 15 feet right of the hole, spun left, just missed that would have been quite the highlight bob all right adam the t is yours 348 oh Oh, man that is sweet 
Okay, Bob, my winner this week, uh, for the third consecutive week, uh, CBS doing the broadcast, had a player on their telecast who was mic'd up. The first time around was Max Homa, second time around Keith Mitchell, and this time around was Tom Kim. And Tom Kim is a breakout star on the PGA Tour already, and he gives some great uh, interviews as well off the golf course, and we saw him at the President's Cup last year. He's, he's incredible, shows so much emotion, but he was mic'd up over his second shot on the 13th hole, a par 5, during Saturday's third round, and... It was amazing to hear the back and forth from his caddy, Joe Scovron, who was Ricky Fowler's looper for a very long time and recently went to Tom Kim's bag to caddy for him right before the President's Cup. And Tom Kim was thinking, you know, he wanted the full number, he wanted to hit a certain shot, and Joe Scovron just totally called him off, gave him something completely different, and what did he do? He hit the shot from 222 yards to, ah, four feet. You know, it was it was pretty impressive, but it really is great, Bob, to hear the back and forth between player and caddy during these mic'd up segments. It's really neat when you uh, we're lucky enough when we're at tournaments, a lot of tournaments, you can get inside the ropes, and you can get pretty close to stuff and you can hear those guys battling a lot, battling it off. And it's always interesting when um, I think you can hear the caddy encouraging the player, agreeing with them, sort of reinforcing what they're doing. But as you point out with this one, it's also cool when they say, no, I don't think so. And it's not, it takes, it takes a very uh, strong willed caddy to be able to do that because uh, it's, it's, if you're wrong, you're going to wear that one for a while. Yeah. And the same thing happened at Pebble beach over, it was the third hole at Pebble beach when Keith Mitchell was over the ball and the caddy said, wait, and he called him off right then and there. And then he hit a pretty good shot onto the green. So awesome. Uh, kudos. Great idea to mic these players up when they want to be mic'd up for, you know, a hole and that sort of thing. So uh, kudos to uh, CBS and the crew for doing that. Okay. My weird this week is Bryson DeChambeau. So he made his first start of 2023 overseas. And many people noticed that he wasn't using a Cobra driver. And many people thought, hmm. This is interesting. And so uh, he had a tailor-made driver in the bag, and his contract with Cobra has now uh, expired. And Bryson had some uh, interesting comments, as he's had about equipment throughout uh, his career, really. And he had this to say, technology is not up to par with the way the golfers can perform at high speeds. Anything over 185 miles per hour of ball speed, good luck controlling it now. And some reps from Cobra, from Cobra, excuse me, I've really had enough. I mean, we saw a couple of years ago when Bryson flat out said, my driver sucks at the Open Championship. I mean, what, what kind of branding is that anyway? But uh, the Cobra rep came out to say it was such an asinine statement, especially for a guy who was perceived to be all-knowing when it comes to science and physics, that he said he needs a driver that can be hit anywhere and everywhere across the face and find the fairway. I mean, we don't hear more, a lot from Bryson now, given he's on live. But, Bob, there's some puzzling comments here from Bryson, especially with his relationship from Cobra dating back to the one-length irons, too. I don't know where a lot of this stuff comes from. I know he's a very smart guy. I know he's got some background in science and degrees and stuff from SMU. But I would give my uh, – I would give all my, my comfort and, and confidence – to the guys who do this full-time and work on building clubs. And uh, I thought it was interesting that someone said that maybe Bryson is going to start his own equipment company at some point because maybe that's about the only place where he's going to be able to get clubs that he wants to build them his own way. Maybe that's, that's a good way for him to go. 
Yeah, I mean, and he was also reportedly at the Ping headquarters last week, which coincidentally is right down the road from TPC Scottsdale. So I guess we'll see what clubs Bryson will be gaming at the next Live event. And my what this week, before we go to break, the Fitzpatricks go uh, uh, incognito, we'll call it that. And uh, what I'm referring to is the PGA Tour put out a video of Matt Fitzpatrick, the reigning U.S. Open champion, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, a former quarterback in the NFL, where they they dressed them up uh, with wigs and, and makeup and the full waste management volunteer gear. And they were wandering around the putting green, trying to talk to players and trying to see if players knew who they were. And I mean, Fitzpatrick has an accent. So, I mean, I think his voice, if, if you're a golf fan, you sort of know his voice and he was talking to a volunteer in a van and she had no idea who he was, but the best was when Fitzpatrick dressed up still somehow found his way on the driving range and was hitting balls beside Gary Woodland and Gary Woodland turned around and uh, he knew who he was right away uh, talking about the U.S. Open, and uh, they exchanged a pretty good hug. Uh, it was a pretty funny video. Bob, not sure if you saw this one. <laughs> I did see it. It was pretty good. I got to give uh, PGA Tour a little bit of credit for that one because that's a that's a pretty good. One. The, the the thing that gave it away for me was the braces that Matt Fitzpatrick. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so that one sort of slid by, but uh, they're still not up to the standards of the DP World Tour, but uh, they're trying hard anyway. Yeah, they're trying hard. Kudos to showing some of the great personalities of these players. And speaking of personalities from these players, the PGA Tour Netflix series coming out later this week. We'll hear from executive producer Chad Mum in about 15 minutes' time all about full swing. But on the other side, we're going back to the WM Phoenix Open. It was a designated event. It was a star-studded leaderboard. We'll discuss some of the notables who came up just short at TPC Scottsdale. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC was presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Cobble Beach, Georgian Bay's extraordinary waterfront golf resort community. Learn more about their award-winning golf course and growing community. Visit CobbleBeach.com today. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada. Adam Scully alongside Bob Weeks. Well, it was a star-studded leaderboard this past weekend at the WM Phoenix Open, a designated event. 23 of the top 24 ranked players in the world all in the field. And Sunday was must-see TV. Scotty Scheffler getting it done over Canadian Nick Taylor. What a performance by the Canuck to finish two shots off the pace. But let's go down the leaderboard, Bob, and talk about some of these other notables who came up just short. And starting with John Rob. And in my opinion, this guy seemed to have his like B, B, B minus game. Like he clearly didn't have his best stuff and finished in third. I mean, it's getting to a point now where if John Rom putts well, he's just going to win. What did you think of what you saw from Rom throughout the week? Yeah, you sort of look at that leaderboard and you're shocked when you see if you were watching that final group most of the day and you see him in third place and nothing against that, but he was never, to me, a threat to win after about the first six or seven holes or certainly after the front nine. He seemed to fall off and then hit the ball. Where did he hit the ball in the water? 17. I mean, there was a few where 
Uh, first of all, the driver was like all over the yard, and he did get some good breaks with with what you can do in the desert. Uh, but and, and some of the recovery shots were were remarkable. But I never really saw him as a legitimate threat on the backside to win this tournament. If he came down, it was going to be the two guys with Nick and and Scott uh, Scotty. But um, I don't know. It's it's again like if you if you say wow he came third. Again, what a great performance. And another, another guy like Scotty Scheffler, who did not have his best stuff, and still put in a great performance. Yeah, and I mean, John Rahm, I mean, he's never won there before. He was the overwhelm, not overwhelming, he was the betting favorite heading into the week, finishes in third place. I'm looking forward to seeing Rahm this week at, uh, at the Genesis Invitational, that's for sure. Uh, heading down the leaderboard, Justin Thomas, who's had a fairly quiet start to 2023 with a pair of T25 finishes at the Century Tournament of Champions and then the Farmers. But he finishes in fourth. And after uh, not so good in the first round, his last three rounds, 68, 67, 65. Bob, is this someone, you know, obviously he won a major championship last year. He recently just got married too. Do you think Justin Thomas is someone, given his week that he just had that maybe he'll be on your bingo card for your TSN edge picks for the T for the Genesis invitational. Possibly. Um, he again, wasn't, you know, he didn't really threaten to win the tournament, but you look at that back nine, it's great. Five birdies on the backside. I think he had seven birdies overall on the day was never, was never sort of in my, uh, in my, my view vision for climbing up this, it was one of those deals where I sort of looked at the, at the leaderboard about halfway through yesterday and went, wow, that guy's like playing really well. He's, he's kind of moving it. The 71 in the second, or sorry, yeah, the 71 and to open with, I think, kind of put him behind the eight ball on a, on a golf course where you have to try and make a few low numbers. But, um, you know, there was a lot of wind. There was a lot of issues on, on the first couple of days of getting your rounds in. So uh, I'm not quite sure how that could have affected him. But I do think he's going to only get better from here. I do think that he's going to be a threat. And I don't this week, because I think his record at Riviera is pretty good. So I, I'm, I'm kind of a Justin Thomas fan this week. Okay, so Justin Thomas finishes in fourth place. And heading down the leaderboard a little bit, Jason Day finishes in fifth. Ricky Fowler finishes T10. Now, Ricky Fowler had the hole-in-one during Sunday's final round, which was obviously great to see. Too bad it wasn't on the 16th hole, because that would have broken the internet probably and broken a lot of fans livers at that point too given how much they were watching and enjoying it but these are two guys on the comeback trail you know ricky fowler hasn't won in quite some time jason day has battled injuries and now it seems like he is pain-free has spoken about that and they're both playing some great golf so my question to you bob is who wins first jason day or ricky fowler Ooh, that's a good one. I know our pal Mark Sacchino has been all in on Jason Day the last little while. He really feels that he's he's uh, playing golf as well as he has for the last couple of years. Hard to argue with that. Ricky Fowler, um, I think, is also playing some pretty good golf. And it seems like his work with, work with Butch Charman is starting to pay some dividends. So I would probably give it to Ricky Fowler, even though I think Jason Day is going to perform maybe more consistently over the next stretch. But it's great to see both of those guys putting some good numbers up on the board and some consistently good numbers on the board because you used to see both of them have one, maybe two good rounds in a tournament and then either a back injury or something would happen with Ricky where he just wouldn't play well and miss a few putts. But I think they're both on the right road and, and I think we're going to see more of them in top 10 finishes. 
And you wonder for uh, Jason Day, given the International Presidents Cup side who lost back in the fall, heading to Royal Montreal, given that like he had, he wasn't even on the radar to be on that team, and for years prior to that, he was a staple of that squad. He's this veteran influence. You wonder, Bob, how motivated he is to get back on that squad, to help out some of these younger guys on a team that has clearly had to reshuffle given the players who went on to go over to live. I think that's, I think that's something for him to, to shoot for. I mean, he's not a super young guy. He's 35. Not that that's old by any means, but he has played a lot of golf, obviously, in that stretch. But I think, yeah, I think he is a guy that Mike Weir would love to have if he, could, if he was playing well because he's got some leadership skills. He's been there before. He's played in some President's Cups, and we saw the last time out, you know, what was it, six or seven or eight of the guys were first-timers. So I think uh, any kind of veteran presence and, and a guy like, I think a guy like Jason Day also plays a lot from the heart, and so he would be a good guy to put into that field if he, could, uh, if he can keep this thing going for another year and a half. Now, speaking of another veteran who wants to get on that President's Cup team in 2024 who didn't make it this time around at Quail Hollow is Adam Hadwood. Another Canadian who has already played twice for the international side on the President's Cup. Finishes T10, 71-71 on the weekend at the WM Phoenix Open. But this is a guy who was tied with Nick Taylor after day one, after round was suspended for Thursday's first round due to darkness. But, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, last year we were a broken record talking about how his swing changes were coming into place and it was taking some time. But now they're there and now he's playing a lot of great golf. I mean, I, I've, the question's challenging, but given, you know, Nick Taylor, his great finish, we saw two Canadians already win in the, on the PGA Tour. You mentioned it on Speed Golf last week on SportsCenter, Bob, that you, you thought Hadwin was due to break out. Given this fast past finish, do you think he's this next victory is coming very shortly for Hadwin? I do. I think he's playing great golf. I think he's playing some inspired golf. He is working with Mark Blackburn, who is Mike Weir's coach as well, who coaches a number of other players. He's also working with Ralph Bauer, our friend, uh, who not only gave uh, you a lesson, but he's been giving uh, Adam Hadwin some lessons. And if you look at his putting stats um, so far this year, they're, they're very, very much improved. And, and, I mean, he was always a good putter. But I think what you're seeing now, in, I mean, putting inside 10 feet, he's, he's second. Um, putting from three feet, he's first. That's, you know, there's a lot of good numbers you can look at with his putting. Overall, 17th strokes gain putting. So... That's the kind of stuff that I think Adam Hadwin needs. He's never going to outdrive anybody. He's never going to overpower a golf course. If he can hit more greens, which has always been a little bit of his weak side, I think that uh, he's been working on that pretty hard. But if he can start doing that, then I think he's a legitimate threat. And, um, and I, I'm, I wouldn't be very shocked if he doesn't get a win before the end of this year or does what Nick Taylor did yesterday and puts himself in a really good shape to try and win one. Well, his third top 10 of the season for Hadwin climbs to 63rd in the official World Golf Ranking 2. Okay, on the other side, full swing. The PGA Tour Netflix series is being released this week. We're going to hear from executive producer Chad Mum after the break. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management was brought to you by Cobble Beach, Georgian Bay's extraordinary waterfront golf resort community. This is Golf Talk Canada presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Cadillac, experience Cadillac. Join one of our agents for a personalized virtual live tour 
of Cadillac SUVs, sedans, and EVs. Book your tour at Cadillac.ca slash live. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada. Adam Scully alongside Bob Weeks. Well, in recent years, Bob, we've seen Netflix come out with sports-related shows that really help open the door and see some of these professional athletes and what they are away from the racetrack or the field of play. You know, we saw this with Drive to Survive, which has had many seasons now. And that's changed the way a lot of people watch F1 or have started to watch F1. And now the PGA Tour is doing something very similar. It's called Full Swing, and it's coming out a little later this week. For much more on full swing and what we can expect from this series. I recently had a chance to catch up with executive producer, Chad Mum. And now joining us is the executive producer of the PGA Tour Netflix series, Full Swing, Chad Mum. Chad, welcome to Golf Talk Canada. Thank you, Adam. So great to be here. I, I love your uh, golf bag, by the way. So Thank you. I mean, we got a credit. Taylor made the Stealth 2 products. We absolutely love them. We were recently in California and got to hit the new products. But uh, speaking of new products, <laughs> it's coming out. Finally. How excited are you for the release that Full Swing is finally just around the corner? It is uh, honestly a dream come true that we've like made it to this place because this show has been a very long time in development. And then you know, the momentum happened. We made it last year. We shot the whole thing. We edited the whole thing. It, it, everybody's been asking me, like, how are you feeling right now? Are you like, is are you nervous? I'm like, honestly, this is the most kind of chilled out I've been for the last like three years on this because it's done. Like it's done. Netflix, it's been delivered. It's ready to like hit your guys's Netflixes to watch. And I'm just so excited that people get to finally see it because, you know, so many people put so much work into this thing. It, it's been a real labor of love. And, and I, you know, I could not be more pumped that it's finally ready to come out. And, you know, you speak of the excitement and there's been that in the golf circle for quite some time, but when that trailer hit the hype meter, the hype machine went through the roof, what kind of reaction did you get from that trailer itself? I mean, goosebumps are what we were going for, honestly, with that big Rory reveal at the end, but uh -huh. yeah, look, people, the golf world has been so supportive of this project from when I first announced, you know, when we first announced it almost actually a year ago, we sort of said that we were doing this. And I think that it's really a testament to the success of Drive to Survive and how like that kind of immersive storytelling has transformed people's interest in a sport. And so I think golf, you know, I'm a lifelong golfer and diehard golf fan. And so the opportunity, like I know as a fan, I would want this show for like one, just as a fan to see inside of pro golf in a way that no one's ever seen before, to get access to rooms that no one's ever had cameras in and have mics on players in extremely private moments and off the golf course and on their private jets. And like, you know, all that stuff is very exciting. But there's also just like a marker of like getting this kind of treatment for a sport that you love, that you're a fan of, you know, it's just, it's a validation of that fandom in some way. And, and you know, I, I think that it's cool that golf is getting this treatment. It, it surprises me that it hasn't up until now because golf is such a incredibly difficult, impossible to master game, even at the highest level, you know, you don't win that often. Even the best players in the world, they don't win every time they tee it up. And so much of the game takes place in that sort of five inch space between your ears that like it creates for some incredible drama. I mean, you're, there's no lonelier place than like being out there in the middle of a fairway trying to win a golf tournament um, and you're on your own, you know, and there's just nothing really like that level of individualism 
and, and just the margins for, for success and failure are so, so tight. I, I want to point out when we first were pitching this, we had in our deck this stat, and I, I'm pretty sure this stat still applies, but it's like the difference between a player who's in the top 10 on the PGA Tour and someone who's like, you know, past 200 ranked is like one shot per round, you know? So every shot counts. And like how you prepare yourself for that, the people you surround yourself with, like all these players that you'll see in the show, they all have such different approaches to it. And, and I think that the chance to give, you know, not just golf fans, which by the way, there's going to be tons for, if you're a diehard golf fan, and you're listening to this show, like there is so much in there that you're going to love and you're going to be excited about. But even for general sports fans who maybe I have a preconceived notion about what they think of when they think of pro golf, like we can subvert that in the first five minutes. And, and I just can't wait for people to see it. Well, that's where we're just going to go because we saw with the Drive to Survive series how that just brought a whole new audience of people who were just watching Netflix and came across this show and thought, hey, I'm going to start watching F1. Is that the goal here with Full Swing to take those who might not be as familiar with golf and say, I'm going to watch this series and now I'm going to tune into the PGA Tour? So the goal, I mean, definitely the goal is to have as big an audience as possible. I think like any producer like wants the entire world to watch their thing. Um, but, you know, we never really like set out to be like, okay, we're going to, we're going to like appeal to this audience segment and we're going to make choices to appeal to this audience segment. It's like, at the end of the day, we want to tell really compelling stories about really interesting people. And we want to like take viewers and dump them into a world that they kind of maybe think they have an idea about, but in reality is like completely different from their expectations. And that is like thrilling and exciting and it could be emotional. And I hope that people like tear up. I certainly do. There's definitely <laughs> some goosebump moments. There's humor, there's heart. Like it's all these kind of really relatable human emotions. And honestly, we, the, the access that we have, there's always gonna be something that the diehard golf fan is gonna be like, I can't believe they got that because we did have unfettered access to the PGA Tour to all the majors we were at the first live event, you know, we were in off the golf course with these players and their families and their spouses, um, you know, and, and there's just stuff that as a golf fan, I like never expected to get to see up close, but then you pull back and you kind of get to know the players that are featured in the show. You really see like they are dynamic and they're cool and they're not, they're not like one word answer guys. Like they think a lot about this and they all have a really different approach to it. And how they architect their year and their travel and their family and their coaching and their training and all of that, like all that adds up to this payoff that happens on the golf course. And so you'll see in the show, so much time is spent sort of off the course with these players, because that's where you get the context to understand sort of in those moments of like absolute triumph, Matt Fitzpatrick hitting his shot out of the bunker, 72nd hole at Brookline to win the U S open. My opinion, one of the best major you know shots in major championship history like you get a year's worth of lead up to that exact moment. Like you get to see everything that went in the highs and the lows to get to that place and that pressure of that moment to actually do it. Like I still get chills thinking about, it, you know, and I've seen that episode like a thousand times when we were editing it and I still get pumped about that. That's funny. And you know, there are so many great moments throughout the season in the world of golf last year. And I mean, I'm sure you guys couldn't predict a breakaway tour live starting up in the middle of taping. So when that first became a legitimate thing that live was happening, did you guys essentially have to flip the script? Like what went through your mind when live actually was on the ground and playing golf? Yeah. I mean, 
let me tell you, if if I would have written this script for this year, I would have been like, it would have been thrown out because they were like, this is too unbelievable. There's no way. I mean, we got, the universe was smiling on this show for sure, for, for a lot of reasons, but that, you know, being one of them, obviously a big one, uh, you know, it, it definitely took us all by surprise. And I think how fast it came in and there really hasn't ever been in any professional sport, something this disruptive in the middle of a season, you know, like while it's happening, you have this traveling circus kind of high school vibe that pro golf has like before you know pre-live it's like you may not be best friends with everyone out there but everybody knows each other you're at the same places week in and week out you know it's kind of the same faces feels very familiar and there's a general sense of camaraderie of like we did this like we're out on the pga tour we're like everyone's worked so hard to get there so there's like a sense of camaraderie and then all of a sudden over a period of like a week and then six weeks like that just got completely shattered and all of a sudden you had sort of sides being taken and there were lines being drawn and it, it was the people were questioning like morality and what you play for and why you do it in the first place and and it really was like it took these athletes who are you know not known for being like super outspoken and all of a sudden they're answering questions about like geopolitics and morality <laughs> not something that normally comes to bear in, in the world of golf and it wasn't just like one player, you know, it was like everybody was getting that and and how you focus through that to compete at the level that they have to compete to. And, and, you know, and, and I think like, it's just, you see so much of that storyline in our show and how it affected people in so many different ways, people struggling about making that decision and ultimately deciding to go people making that same choice on the other side to say, it's better for them to stay. And like, and, and everywhere in between, you know, we have players who are like, yeah, I took the money because like, it's a job and yeah. You know, that's it. There's nothing else to say about it. And then you got other people who are agonizing about it because what does it mean for their legacy? And they want, you know, people like people to like them. So you want, you want, you know, you want to shape what, how people think. And yeah, I mean, we could have never predicted it. And, uh, and honestly, like, I think people will be shocked at how much access we had to those storylines. We're with Chad Mum, the executive producer of Full Swing on a Netflix, the PGA Tour Netflix series. Now, you mentioned this earlier with the trailer and Rory McIlroy showing up at the end of the trailer. What was the importance of having a guy like McIlroy, who obviously had this great year on the golf course last season, but arguably a better year off the golf course in terms of leadership, in terms of how outspoken he is, in terms of his relationship with Tiger Woods? How important was it to have Rory in this series, too? I mean, I can tell you, he's been at the top of our list since this idea was first hatched, uh, you know, not just for his abilities on the golf course as, as like a generational player, but just as a as an incredible, thoughtful, charismatic figure in the game. And obviously that notion of Roy McIlroy as this statesperson for golf, it has he's just stepped into that in an even bigger way this year. Um, and it's been really fascinating to see. So you know, we wanted him from the very beginning and like had been working with his, his team and, you know, he was focusing on his golf this year. So it didn't seem like that was going to happen. And then at the end of the season, you know, I, I just kind of impromptu, like, well, not impromptu. I, I psyched myself <laughs> up and got a chance to sit with him for uh, a few minutes, like privately and, uh, and basically made my pitch and said, you know, look, now is the time we may never, never get another chance at this. Uh, and so he said yes. And within like an hour, he had a mic on and, you know, gave us kind of more access to his inner self and to how he thought and his relationships on the tour than like almost anybody else, you know, and, and it's just a testament to him, sort of the heart of Roy McElroy. It's like, he doesn't do anything like halfway, it's all in. And, uh, and so I'm so grateful for him. And, and just, 
that even though we didn't have him the whole season, like what he did give us is, is just like, it's amazing. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe like how willing he was to just jump in feet first into what we were doing and just like bring the cameras that long, you know, right at the height of all of this drama. A hundred percent. Okay. A couple more before I let you go. Obviously, you know, this is an eight episode series. How did you guys decide on a, on a weekly basis, who you were going to follow in depth and go behind the scenes with? So we started out, you know, the way we you make a show like this and uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to, to my partners on this project, you know, the other executive producers, Paul Martin, James Gay Reese and Warren Smith, uh, all from box to box, you know, they, they make drive to survive Breakpoint, those kinds of shows. And, they've really got a, a great system for getting inside the players' heads and really getting to know them. And we start with this foundational interview at the beginning of the season. And it's not so much like a, you know, like a normal media interview. It's way more like a, I don't know, like a, like a therapy session in some ways, but it's a little bit like, we want to get to know who you are and tell us about what's important to you. We're not going to ask you about a shot you hit on some certain hole or what clubs you're switching to or, you know, whatever. We just want to know what's important to you this year. What are you trying to get out of this year on tour? You know, what relationships matter to you, whether it's your peers, your friends, your spouse, your coach, your caddy, like to get us into the life a little bit. And from there, we sketched out like some storylines and we had a meeting in New York with our team right after we finished all those interviews at the beginning of last year. And we kind of put it all up on a wall and we said, okay, you know, we could see some consistent pairings of like, okay, Colin Murakawa and Tony Finau, like they go together. They both, Tiger impacted them in such an amazing way when they were first getting into the game and, and kind of totally, they both took totally different things away from that inspiration. But like, there's a, there's a core thing between Colin and Tony. So maybe they can go together. And then we start tracking stories as the season unfolds. And, you know, for the most part, like our general, our archetypes, the things that we learned in those first interviews, like those were the personalities that emerged as we got more, as they got more comfortable with us and we got more and more access and got deeper and deeper into their lives. Uh, you know, and, and then some of it is like just good luck. Like we picked right. Like when we showed up at Southern Hills in Tulsa for the PGA championship, you know, we said we're going to follow Justin Thomas because, you know, he was granting us the access and his dad is a PGA that and his coach. And we're like, oh, that'll be a really interesting story. You know, turned out that was the right choice. We also <laughs> like we need to follow a rookie because we've been telling we have this sort of rookie storyline. And we're like, we need to find a rookie who's playing in their first ever major Mito Pereira. Like, <laughs> I mean, how how could you pick any better? And then Matt Fitzpatrick was the third for that week. And if you remember, he was in the final pairing yeah. with Mito. And like, you know, it just and then just for Matt, it's like then even though he didn't win, like that gives you so much context for the payoff that you get, you know, a couple of weeks later when he wins the US Open. So, you know, we did get lucky on a few of those, but also I like to think maybe there's a little Netflix effect. You know, you give us real access and you're you win a major. I don't know. I, I absolutely love that. Okay. Of, of every player you didn't know much about going into this series, which player surprised you the most or which player do you think is going to surprise the viewer the most? So I, I've been asked this question a couple of times and my answer is always Brooks Kepka oh. because people, you know, I mean, look, I'm a fan. Like I said, if you can't tell from like our conversation, uh, you know, what I expected him to be like, it was like the polar opposite from what he is in real life. And he, I think, is going to surprise people from just the person that he is that is so different from the portrayal of him in the media that in some ways he likes to feed into. Um, but just his his willingness to be vulnerable and to open up to us um, was really amazing. And he shocked me. And I think viewers will be shocked. I don't know if it's going to change your opinion. If you're a fan of Brooks, I think you're going to be a bigger fan of Brooks. I, you know, we're not out here to make new fans of people, but I think people will be surprised and be blown away and will look at Brooks Kepka in a whole new light. 
he's one example. I, I have to say Matt Fitzpatrick, another one, you know, who, who, you know, frankly was not super on our radar at the beginning of the year. And, and, and then we did an interview with him and we're like, who is this guy? You know, everybody walks in, they're so macho and it's all very alpha male. And here's this like stat guy who comes in with this like dry sense of humor, his British wit from Sheffield, England. And he just kind of like meticulously broke down like why he's going to have a good year from like the data that he had collected and how hard he'd worked. And we're like, here's a guy that is so easy to root for. Like, let's just lean into it. And I think people are going to be, uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of new Matt Fitzpatrick fans. That's for sure. I mean, count me in on that too. There you go. Well, there's so much hype around Full Swing, the PGA Tour Netflix series. Before we let you go, can you give us a little sneak preview on episode one? I think episode, so episode one, we're going to drop you right into the middle of the season. So, you know, don't, don't expect to start, you know, at the very beginning, we're going to throw you right into the heart of the action with two of the biggest names in the sport. And, uh, and I will give you a little teaser. The first scene is them in a car together, driving to get on a private jet uh, where they do a little gambling on their way to prepare themselves for a major championship. So uh, get ready to jump right in because um, you know, it's, we, we got a lot of amazing stuff this year, for sure. Well, Chad, I'm so excited for this. Just a couple of days away, it's being released. Hopefully, season two might already be in the works, too. Is that correct as well, maybe? We have not said anything publicly yet. Okay, so. okay, that's fair. Well, Chad, thanks so much for your time today. Hopefully, we can have you on after every episode has also been released to have a little debrief on what we saw and how excited uh, everything was. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, there's Chad Mum, executive producer, PGA Tour Netflix series. Now, Bob, before we go to break, I know you've actually seen the first two episodes, correct? Give if you if you want to give a brief little, what do you think of the first couple episodes? Um, I will say that if you are a deeply, if you are a person who has been around the PGA Tour for a long time, like you and I, let's say, there's parts where you kind of go. Wow, like you have Amanda Renner, Amanda Balionis, her maiden name, explaining how a golf playoff works. You know, mm. so in some cases, it's not necessarily designed for people like you and me or for hardcore people who might know these people. I think the first one is sort of eases you into it, the series a little bit. You'll get a taste of what you're going to see and how you're going to see it. Um, it's, I, I'm interested to hear what people's reactions are to it. I've got my own reactions, but I'll save that maybe for uh, after our next show, and, and we'll sort of talk about it a little bit. And those who have seen it, I think there's been some mixed reactions. I think you've seen it on there. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think it's going to be an enjoyable series for, 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 the, for the casual golf fan. I'm, I'm so excited to see it. It debuts uh, a little later this week. Okay, on the other side, we'll wrap up today's show. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management, was brought to you by Cadillac. Cadillac, experience Cadillac. Join one of our agents for a personalized virtual live tour of Cadillac SUVs, sedans, and EVs. Well, as always, it's a busy time for us on GTC. We are back Wednesday at 10 a.m. on TSN 1050, right here for a full preview of the Genesis Invitational as well. Later that day, our TSN Edge picks coming out too. Will someone pick Tiger Woods? You'll have to wait and see. Bob, thanks for a great show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And remember, the first good decision on the golf course always starts in the closet.